Welcome aboard this week's podcast of Dudes Dish Disney. No cupcakes, sparkles, or glitter mouse ears here, just Dudes Dishing Disney. This episode of Dudes Dish Disney is sponsored by Magic Vacations. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel. And now your hosts, the Dudes of Dudes Dish Disney. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dudes Dish Disney. Joining us today is Jonathan, our producer and resident tech dude. What's going on, guys? And also joining us is Ryan, our co-host. He's the number one Disney dude. What's up, dudes? And I'm Congo Carl, former Jungle Cruise skipper, here to guide you through this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. And the Disney universe is all abuzz lately with all the changes they are making to their business model, policies, services, products, and operational managers. So we thought tonight, because we have a little bit of business acumen here on the show, we talk about the business of Disney, right, Ryan? Yeah, it's a topic that's been pretty hot lately. And, um, you know, certainly it's something I'm pretty passionate about. And I think the three of us, you know, we don't hide the facts on the show. If you've been listening, that we're all travel agents. So the business of Disney does affect us pretty significantly. But I think it's important to note that all three of us, because uh, because it's Disney, we're also huge Disney fans and we're also theme park goers and and the business side of Disney affects us in a different way that way also. So, you know, trying to maintain that level headedness about what the changes are, how it affects us and, you know, how maybe it might ruin some of our nostalgia, but it might be important or necessary moving forward for Disney is a necessary thing to be discussed, I think. Yeah, I think for the sake of the conversation to keep some structure around it, we're really going to focus mainly around the parks, right? We know that Disney builds brands around its characters and its stories, and it certainly has a, a, a ever-growing uh, portfolio of, of movie production, cinema, and entertainment platforms to distribute all of, uh, all of their IPs to their sort of traditional movie audience. Um, but when you look at that and the expansion, when you get into a lot of that, there's a lot of different various sources of media. But really, our world focuses around those parks. So the connection is from that various media, the IP leading into the parks. And that's always a controversy, too, right, about how that's going to work. But for tonight's purposes, we're going to focus just on the business aspects of the theme park operations. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's important to right off the bat to, to understand that Disney also focuses when they're talking about the theme parks, mostly just on the theme parks. You know, there's a lot of discussion out there like that people would immediately after hearing what you just said, Carl, would jump all over you and say, that's not true. All of those things can be implemented into the parks and the parks can pull money from there. And that's really just not the way that business really works. And I think that's a hard thing for people that may not be in the business world to really put their hands around is, is that you know, the movies, the IPs, all that stuff, like, yeah, they're represented in the parks. And yes, having them in the parks can actually have an effect on those things. And those things can have an effect on the parks, but they're not going to take the billions of dollars that they made from the Marvel movie franchise and dump that in to make sure that the Dapper Dans are still getting paid and walking up and down Main Street, you know, and I think that's something that people need to, to understand, you know, right off the bat. So yes, we'll focus on the parks, but 
before anybody comments and says like, well, the other things can pay for that. That's just not the way that business works. You know, you have different segments for a reason. You don't want to make one go broke for the other one to stay alive. Um, you don't want to take from one so that somebody's nostalgic feeling over the Dapper Dans, for instance, who at Disney World are not there right now. You know, you're not going to you're not going to take Star Wars money and pay for the Dapper Dans. It's just not going to. No, you know, look at and anyone that is a worldwide multi-conglomerate looks at business units and lines of business independently, right? And everyone has heads of those departments as responsible for profit and loss. So you're absolutely right. You know, there's not, the crossover is in the product, right? It's a crossover for the various products in the segments, but, but you're right. One does not subsidize the other, uh, you know, the success of the Jungle Cruise this summer at the box office doesn't pay for the rehab of the jungle cruises at Disney World and Disneyland, right? That that cost center is associated with the parks and comes with the parks. So yeah, we're going to focus in on the parks and and some of the the various controversies. So kick us off, Ryan. What's what's one of them that's come up lately in discussions and um, you know both in in public media and in social media um, that's of uh, relevance. I think one of the biggest ones that keeps coming up from people is entertainment at the parks. Um, so I think that's kind of one that I want to talk about is people saying like, Hey, you know, you know, things are coming back from COVID buffets are coming back from COVID. This is my favorite one. Actually, they're bringing the buffets back, but they're not bringing the entertainment back, you know? And, and I want to just touch on that one real quick and just put a hammer down on that. Like, you know how easy it is to bring a buffet back? You don't have to pay anybody to run a buffet other than the chef that you're already paying to do that. They put it in a bowl and you go serve yourself out of that bowl, period, plain and simple. Entertainment, there's a lot of overhead there. You got to bring back people to sing. You got to bring back pyrotechnics people. You got to bring back people to clean up after them. I mean, there, there's just human capital all over the place. Oh, and plus it's unionized too, right? That exactly. whole entertainment is unionized and I'm sorry, the chef is not. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a big factor that I think as fans, we all want to see entertainment come back. And frankly, some of it is, I mean, some of the entertainment has been coming back. I mentioned the Dapper Dans earlier. They've, they've, they've come back to Disneyland. I'm sure it's in the plans to bring them back to Disney world at some point, you know, I'm hoping it'll happen soon, but but like those things and those types of entertainment are coming back. The, the live the live show has gotten a lot of uh, live Beauty and the Beast show, which I know we wouldn't normally talk about on this on the, on this podcast. But it's actually gotten a lot of flack recently because they brought it back and they're social distancing Belle and the Beast, and they're like these scenes where they would normally be like Belle would have her hands on him while he's laying down in agony. She's six feet away from them, and people just think it's hilarious. They're like, "Come on, like really?" So you know. Um, they are bringing those things back. You no, know, no, and I'll also key into that. I think part of that argument is then, oh, it's due to, uh, you know, the historical changes of the world. We had to change the way we do business. And so entertainment was one of the mandated cuts, right? Whether it's a parade, whether it's a live stage show, or, or it's an impromptu group like the Dapter Dance. And, and that was like, oh, this has all been cut. I, I can tell you historically, Disney has had different people at the head of the company evaluate this, and there's always been a cyclical up and down for it. I'll give you an example, right? When Disney first got into merchandising within the 
Walt Disney World, it was a unique experience. Okay, you would go down Main Street and there would be lots of different stores with lots of different uh, merchandise to buy. You would go to Liberty Square and there was a perfumery. You would go and uh, there was a Paul Revere silver shop in Liberty Square. And there was an antique store. And there was all these things unique and appropriate to the various lands that you could buy products and services. Well, when you go into the days of Paul Pressler, who got promoted from the Disney stores, he said, no, he changed the merchandising, right? Two things he changed. He said, one, we're going to eliminate the entertainment factor because it was entertaining to go see someone, you know, cut some crystal or blow some grass or myself perform the magic that you were going to sell at the magic store, right? And they were, they were paying for the entertainment aspect of merchandising, right? Paul Pressler said, no, we're going to change that. We're going to do that. I'm from the Disney stores. Everyone gets plush. So we did the we did away with the independent merchandise and all those unique products. And everybody started to sell the same products. There was no more thematically induced merchandise land by land, area by area. And but believe me, Epcot was all about that. I mean, you used to walk around Epcot. If you went to the Canadian building, you would never pick up an item and look underneath it and say made in China. It was from Canada, right? So that authenticity and everything went when Pressler came in, the motive was like merchandise, 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 to quote Spaceballs, where the real money's made. So, you know, they did that and they and they changed that. So that impact of entertainment, that impact of, of, of what they're doing, they were very successful. They were profitable. The heads of the department made a lot of money. Eisner made a lot of money. So it's all about the motivation for the people at the top to make a lot of money. And when you're running a business, that's what happened. Those lines of business happen. So fast forward today and everyone's going, oh, they're cutting entertainment. They've historically done that. Or they've had a show. It's run its course. The IP fell out of grace or favor with the audiences. And it was replaced. And then you were with, you know, you had five years of Frozen back to back everywhere in every park. Right. So so that that part of it plays and it goes ebbs and flows with the popularity of the IP as much as it is about a cost center and and location. Right. I think that's really important, too, because in Disneyland, they make changes way more often than they do in Disney World. And the biggest reason for that is a huge chunk of the population that goes to Disneyland are APs, you know, you go to Disneyland, you see the same stuff over and over and over again. You get sick of it after not a while. Coming back. Even the nostalgia stuff, like you want to keep APs coming back, you got to change it. Disney World is a tourist destination. There's tons of APs. There's tons of Floridians that go, don't get me wrong, but it's a much bigger tourist destination. So they keep some of those things around longer. You know, they don't, they don't have to make those changes quite as often. But in the parks like Epcot, where a lot of the APs will go often for the festivals and for all that stuff, they do make those changes because that's where they keep seeing people come in and they want to see new and different things. Um, well, entertainment, not- entertainment is fickle from that perspective. I mean, you know, you get sick of entertainment after a while that you don't want to go and watch the same band play the same five songs on the Canadian stage for 40 years. That It's just, nobody wants to see that except for maybe the people that go once every five years, you well, know, plus like, the musicians get old and croak too. So, I mean, right. I mean, it's true. You know, at the beginning of the change of all this, right? All all of this change, obviously, we all know we avoid talking about it on this show for for on purpose. For those who don't know, we don't talk about what's happened in the world in the last two years in terms of uh, diseases being transferred around the world and whatever. 
we stay away from that subject. But the fact of the matter is, is that was an opportunity for Disney to step back and look and say, where are we spending this money? What things are people actually going to see? And what things should we keep around, right? And when they stepped back and looked, they saw some things. They saw some people that had been around for 40 years, like the guys inside of the Grand Floridian. Like, hey, great, you guys were awesome. It was a joy to come see you. It was time. It was time. It was time to move on from them. You're not going to keep them around, lay them off for a year and a half, and then bring them back. It just wasn't going to happen, you know? Uh, and that's another entertainment. Fact. But again, that that happened, right? The, the Riverboat Rascals on the Empress Lily were there for years. They moved over to, um, you know, Dixie Landings in that bar. And then, you know, Bob came in and played the piano after they were done. And now Bob's not there. So that that happens all the time. Right. You have to you have to take that consideration when you're into the entertainment, even the style of entertainment changes. I mean, there was no castle forecourt shows in the 70s. Right. That was something was interesting in the 80s, became popular, more of them in the 90s. And then it was all about it for a while. Right. That was an easy, great back. It's like if you're stage manager of a show in Broadway, what a great backdrop, the castle. You know, if I have the castle as a backdrop, what do I don't have to do? I don't have to do curtains, lighting, scenery, because there's my backdrop. So I can put any kind of show in that castle forecourt and save all the money I would have to do on a professional Broadway show of scenery changes, right? So that's a business decision. You know, that those things go into all of those components to do that. Is the end product received well by the customers? Yes, great. Then I, I've done, I've accomplished that without having to do it. We joke about in the parade, the castle float. It's been around, it's been around since the 70s, <laughs> you know, little spit and polish and everything and add a few different princesses and roll it out again, right? And it, it's there and it's rehabbed and everything. Why? Why reinvent? Why spend the money on something when you can, you can do it? So those are individual, like I said, lines of business decisions on that. Um, it, you look at, I was there when, when entertainment just became unionized. The only thing that was unionized in the early 80s was the was the bands, right? The music. And um, the characters wanted to unionize and the Teamsters came in and said, yeah, we'll take in the union. And, and then other people came in and that had to change Disney's business model because now, okay, I couldn't have characters running around the park free roam. The union said, no, you have to, they're indoors, put them indoors in an air conditioned building, which more comfortable for the for the performer and they can greet all day and they have x amount of breaks when mickey takes a break for three seconds and then he comes back all of that was you know changing in the format due to from a business perspective we have to accommodate our employees we have to accommodate the unions we have to do so people oh, i missed the old days when the characters were running freely and signing autograph was you just casually would bump into them changed right the business model changed and the way we go and meet characters changes yeah and i think currently too you know the things had to change right things had to change you really look at what happened for for a year and a half disney well not a full year and a half but they, they estimated something like 13 and a half million dollars was what it cost to operate disney world on a daily basis day to day 13 and a half million dollars right so you close the parks for a couple months and the amount of loss on that is ridiculous for Disney. Now, you, you, you stack on top of that, that you then reopen the parks in a limited capacity 
for months, right? And people are mad because the parks are reopened, but you're not bringing entertainment back. It's like, it's just not that black and white. They, they were operating at a loss still, just trying to hold their heads above water to get some cash flow in to keep things moving so that when you do get to a point where you can release them to full capacity again, then you can start to normalize. Disney didn't see a profit for five quarters in the theme parks, which is really unheard of for Disney, for Disney World, right? And what happened? Once they started seeing a profit, you started seeing entertainment come back, right? Like that's the first thing they're going to cut when there's when they're when they have that is entertainment. It's the first thing they're going to cut. You know why? Because you have all the other things that you already have to keep you distracted. You have all the attractions and the rides, you have the dining, you have the character meet and greets inside of the dining areas that you have the characters that still pop out all over the parks, the cavalcades, you name it. There was no reason for them to have a trolley running up and down the street with people singing on it because just, just for the sake of it, they weren't going to do that. The entertainment's a big piece of it. And I think it's noticeable. And the reason people notice it and, and call it because it's a differentiator in their product, right? Disney was known for years as doing the best job ever entertaining you while you waited in line, right? And how do they do that? Well, through a themed queue, through interactive opportunities. But before there was themed queues for everywhere, and you used to have to stand outside to wait three show cycles to get into the country bears, they would have a band in Frontierland playing in front of you, entertaining right there in that spot while you're waiting trying to you know duck into the shade so and they, and people were used to that like oh they're masters of this they're masters of moving people and doing this you know and, and that entertainment aspect so there's other what has happened ah oh, they introduce apps and play disney on your phone and interact with you know a disney quiz show right or uh play heads up in line technology changes and people entertain themselves i don't have to pay for a band to entertain right. you because I have other ways I've figured out to entertain you. Right. And frankly, it's needed, right? It's a necessary change because the younger generation coming up is not as impressed by the cool little carving in the, in the queue. They want something interactive and digital that they can play with. And Disney's a master, like you said, and I think that's a good transition into another topic just in terms of Disney providing uh, a premier service, right? And I think that's a, that's things that people don't understand. So there's, been price increases. There's no hiding it. Nobody's trying to hide it. There's been price increases. Um, so for me to kind of step into that next direction or the next topic to talk about is why people are upset by price increases. Let me tell you something, Carl, you are in sales just as just like I am. And John, you're a consumer, right? So you get this. Nobody likes a price increase. As a salesperson, I hate it because now I got to explain to people that the price increased. That nobody likes it. It doesn't matter who does it, when they do it, nobody's going to like it. They don't just make decisions and go, oh, we're going to make a price increase, screw them, right? They do it because there's a reason behind it. They need to keep profit margins. They need to make sure that they're, uh, you know, keeping the business moving in the right direction, whatever the case may be. And there's no doubt that Disney charges more than other people. Um, Disney's a premier provider of the service. So why wouldn't they charge more than other people? They value their product. The people who cheapen their product don't value their product as much. And frankly, neither should you. Uh, that's the way I've always looked at it, is if I cheapen my product, then that says that I don't have a lot of confidence in my product, right? That That's just me. Now, if people open up their, stop opening up their wallets to go to Disney, that's when Disney goes, okay, maybe we overdid it. But until that happens, that's not going to stop. So, Carl, I know you went through the college program. 
maybe you can talk a little bit about like the the number one thing everybody talks about is that customer experience, right? That that's always been Disney's crutch. They've always leaned on that. What can you tell us yeah. more about that process? Yeah. So so obviously, um, you know, that has evolved over the years too. Uh, but you know, if you're a new employee, you start with traditions 101. And then you go through, you know, various depths or length of training as a new hire. And, you know, you're instilled with that quality experience that Disney is in the business of making people happy, quite simply. Um, good friend of mine, and, and he's been on the show, Jake Poor, does that very elegantly in his book and talks about how that's their core business. Now, what are the things that contribute to that hap happiness? You sort of break it down, right? But they've always been known for that. And the key psyche of people coming into work for Disney is you are part of that show. You are part of making people happy, right? Through those experiences. And you are empowered to certain degrees to make people happy. And that's what that where it comes with. Look, at, you've got a great, it starts with a great product, right? Great product, great attractions, et cetera, shows. Then it comes with a very clean environment and that takes people to make that happen. And it takes processes and a regiment to make that happen. Those two people make it, make those, make them very happy. So how do you convince someone who's an employee, how important it is keeping the park clean in, in the show versus someone like a skipper on the jungle cruise who was in the limelight all day, according to the other employees, right? It, it, it's a very different, you know, how do you make that ex guest experience? It's engraved the same way. And it's not just the custodians who keep the place clean, is that everyone knows it's the number one thing that people first notice on their way in. So everyone does the Disney scoop and picks up trash, right? So they ingrain that in everybody, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're Bob Chapik or if you're a custodian, everyone goes around and picks up trash, right? So that's kind of how that instills because you're, you have a pride about yourselves and that product that you're presenting to someone and you do. So they also empower you to make that quote unquote magic happen certain ways, right? The training isn't wonderful. The development is training. Now with that core concept, they build all the other training components. Um, Disney university is renowned for all of their management training coaches, but that's the basis of everything. So if you get trained in, hospitality, in uh, food and beverage, in attractions, in security, uh, whatever the disciplines that you're trained in, it all goes back to you're in charge of making people have a magical experience, right? So that is really ingrained in everyone to make it happen. Now the challenge is, and then, you know, for consumers, they go around and say, ah, oh, you, you didn't make magic happen for me. Well, here's the challenge that Disney faces as a business. They started in 1971. Orlando was not a populous organization. They burned through the population of, of people who could get doing this. And it didn't matter how good you are, only so many people can get promoted, right? There's only so many manager jobs and executive jobs. So, so many people are still at that day-to-day -day important role of keeping people happy. If you're not going to get promoted, you see a dead-end job, then you may move over because guess what happened? SeaWorld opened. Universal open. So maybe I move somewhere else for a different experience or a chance to move up and get a better job. So that's a personnel issue. So what do they do? They ship in and bus people from Tampa for years. Here's a new marketplace to get free bus rides in 45 minutes and you're going to come to work with us. 
after X amount of years, they burned through that. So they went to the college program. They ran out of depleted of, of that look. And they talked about the Disney look and they went around to every college campus and found the all-American look, the cheerleaders, the jocks to come in and perform and smile. And guess what? They only had to do it for three or four months. They didn't get burned out. So they could cycle through 200 and then 500 and a couple thousand every cycle and not burnt. People were delighted to work for minimum wage, get that training, get that education, get it on their resume and be part of that magic. Not unfortunately leave, right? Um, right. But, but I think what you said is just clutch right there is that they get it on their resume. Right. People, this tells you how good Disney is at what they do. People will go to Disney to work for a minimum wage and sleep in a room with four other people, like going to your freshman year of college again, just to get that on your resume. That's, that's akin to going to, in the Midwest, to Notre Dame, to going to Harvard, to going to one of these places, right? Like, is it going to say the same as Harvard? No, I know you're all going to scream at me and be like, oh, it's not the same thing as Harvard. Okay. But the idea, the concept behind it is the same thing. They're Better. so good at what they do that it pops out on your resume and it separates you from other candidates. So for Although anybody the brainwashing says, at Disney is probably similar to the brainwashing at Harvard these days. So you could probably make an argument. Yeah, yeah that's probably <laughs> true. I mean, but for anybody who says, for anybody who says that like, oh, Disney's not the same, ask any business leader anywhere in the country. And they, I guarantee you, they will tell you if they see that somebody went to Disney and did the Disney college program, they're going to step them up on the resume list. They're going to have a notch above somebody else. Who well, didn't and have. here's why. Yeah, it's a conversation starter. But one, you've worked for a big company. You've been through a formal training. You've learned to apply that training to your day-to-day -day job. And you've learned something that makes something work. And every business, medium, small, medium, large, has their culture, their you know, brand, what they're trying to convey, and if you were able to do it once, the implication is you can do it again, right? That you're teachable, you're moldable, you're trainable. So, so that's that's part of it, right? And um, and that's a valuable thing. There's so many people who have copied business models off of what Disney's done from a personnel and a brand and a customer experience, customer-facing experience. That experience specifically at Disney World, they've sent countless executives to take those techniques and apply them to their own business in an effort to improve their customer experience, right? So that's what it calls down to. Now you tie back to these things and the arguments are out there. Oh, well, they're changing this or they're taking away this. You're Now you're off brand or you're changing the customer experience. No, they're not because the core competency is there, but everything with time has to change, right? Everything... The, the, um, the, the core competency product is there. The castle hasn't changed in 50 years, right? The product is still there, but the way people experience it are different. The only thing that's consistent along with that castle is, is the cast members, right? And what they're trained to do. Right. Sometimes you toss a little color on it and brighten it up a little bit, but beyond that, it stays the same. <laughs> You know. The damn birthday cake at 25. What the hell no, were they let's, doing? Let's, oh, hey, let's all oh. forget the birthday cake. Let's just forget the birthday cake happened. You know what? Actually, one of my favorite favorite things about that is, is now that we're approaching the 50th anniversary, when the birthday cake happened, everybody was like, oh, that's disgusting. I don't want to see the birthday cake or whatever. And then when they did the, the repaint for, 
for the 50th, people were like, remember when they did the birthday cake, how big they did it? And now they're just repainting it. And I'm like, you can't win with people. You, you really can't win with people. No, no, on, honestly, you can't. I mean, I haven't said much again. I'm not like the two guys that work in sales and all that stuff. Again, I'm I'm more the consumer level person. But here, here's the honest thing with this. People are going to, no matter what you do, they're going to complain about something. Even if you make this product the best thing you've ever seen, oh, we're going to add this feature, we're going to add this feature, we're going to add this tech support, yada, 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 whatever it is, you're going to get someone to complain about it. And you're just, you're just not going to make someone happy. Unfortunately, I mean, that's, that's as simple as it is. And again, no one's ever going to be as happy as it is. Guess what, folks? There's going to be changes. They're going to move on with something different in the world. Let's just all accept it as simple as it is. Go ahead, Ryan. I think, yeah, I think, I think you're actually hitting on something else. That's a big point. And I think you're right. Is that you're never going to be happy with it. To be honest with you, when you're complaining, you know what you're doing, you're actually presenting Disney with business models. Um, when they took FastPass away, half the people out there were like, we don't want FastPass to come back. FastPass just ruins the lines. I don't need FastPass. I don't want to go through FastPass. The other half of the people are like, bring FastPass back. We need FastPass. I'm not going to go unless you have FastPass. So what does Disney do? Disney goes, okay. For those of you who don't want FastPass, you no longer have to have FastPass. For the rest of you who really love FastPass, you're going to change. You're going to be charged uh, whatever it is, fifteen, thirty, fifty-five dollars, or whatever a day for maximum FastPass capabilities, right? And you look at what happened as a result. The people who didn't want FastPass to come back are like, "Oh, you're charging us for more stuff now, and you're you're charging us blah 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 blah." And the people that did want FastPass are like, "I'm more than happy to pay fifty-five dollars to have FastPass still," you know. It, and the fact of the matter is both of you are still going to go, you know, you're still going to go. If you don't want fast pass, why are you complaining about it? Because you don't have to pay for it. You don't need to use it. Just go stand in the regular line. But Ryan, <laughs> like, it's one of those, wait, you're both right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what Disney did. Disney listened. And now you're mad that they listened, you know, like that, that that's John, you made a huge point there with, you know, like everybody has the right to complain. I'll say this to them blue in the face. You should complain if you don't like something. You should let them know. You should let them know on Twitter. You should let them know in person. You should let them know in any way that you can. You know, get the word back. That's the only way that they learn. But when you do, just remember that there are consequences <laughs> to what you say. And in some of those consequences, Disney realized there's an opportunity to make more money. Look at any good business organization has two responsibilities to their brand and to their investors, right? You need to stay true to your brand, your vision, et cetera, to have concept because people keep coming back to that brand, whatever it is, when they see that Disney logo, because it conjures up something in that brand. So what, what is that? It's an experience, it's the product, it's the IP, that's the brand, right? The other responsibility you have is to the investors and stockholders to show a profit. Now, now here's the challenge that you know Disney has evolved to, in in um, in in some markets, in some of it, is that you know middle management, and we've all experienced this in business too, right? Sometimes there's a disconnect between corporate goals, visions, the top of the food chain, the people who execute it daily interfacing with clients and customers, but the middle management sometimes is disconnected. You know, we've been in business 
for, for a long time. I always joke, you know, for the various companies I work with, the marketing department, when's the last time a marketing person saw a customer? Never. They've been on, never on a customer visit. The sales guys go on a customer visit, right? So there's a lot of middle management at Disney that doesn't get down to the parks and see what's going on enough to understand what their product and vision is delivering. You know, there's an enormous number of managers who have retired on the job when the middle management comes to Disney. And that's been a constant challenge. It was when I was there. If you read Dr. Marley's uh, book on the Jungle Cruise, he talks about it in depth on how that middle management was disconnected from the Disney goals and visions and to what, you know, the, the cast members and skippers were trying to deliver as a product uh, because they were motivated that. Now, sometimes the motivation in middle management, upper middle management certainly, is stock incentives. So they're looking to do things that'll either cut costs and cut budgets and this is a complaint that we see all the time, right? Online all the time. You're cutting things in order to, to, to meet their personal financial goals, right? And, and there's a disconnect. And there's been, you know, you can talk about the president. president. You can talk about, um, you know, some past presidents that have had that. It's cyclical. It comes around, right? The next, the next CEO is going to have, you know, some grounding in that vision. Sometimes you have to ride it out. But Sometimes you need that person to buckle down and make these hard decisions and changes that we don't like sometimes in order that the product's going to be there in the next five or 10 years, right? If they didn't do some of these changes and everything, look at how many businesses in America went out of business the last two years. So what's your option? You know, continue with an old model that's financially not feasible and end up with having being forced to close or make changes, make cutbacks, make adaptions to the to the marketplace so you can survive. I'll, I'll tell you that we're in the, uh, the travel business, car rental business, another example, right? No one was traveling for months. In order to survive, the car rental places had to sell off their fleets. Then travel gets reinstituted. Everyone's complaining, I can't rent a car anywhere. Orlando's one of the biggest car rental centers in the country right? If not the world, they sold off their fleets. It was very difficult to get a car, let, let alone at the airport, never mind at all the little offices, you know, in various neighborhoods in greater Orlando, but they did it to survive. And now they're coming back and they're buying cars and it's getting easier and easier, right? So I think right now, the noise that we hear, people have to consider these are business moves. It's a matter of life and death and survival. Yes, they had to lay off X amount of thousands of people, but if they didn't, they'd have to lay off everybody and close the doors. Right. And let's let's remember that they they, unlike a lot of big companies, paid a lot of those people for a long time too. You know, I understand the cast members that there are some cast members that had it really hard. I get it. I, you know, I I I was fortunate I didn't have to go through that personally. I feel for those people that did have to go through it, but ultimately, if they don't make those changes, no matter what, you don't have a chance of coming back to work because they won't reopen. You know, they did what they could. They held insurance as long as they could for people. They they held on to salary for as long as they could for people. Uh, I have my one of my wife's cousins was in the college program two weeks in when everything happened, and they had to send her home. And they're like, you know, we I'm sorry, you got five days to get out. Otherwise it's unsafe for you to be here. And she was, she hated it. She was terrified of it. She was horrible. It was, 
it was whatever, but she still got that thing on her resume because they said, you know, we're going to mark you as you completed this. So you could put this on your resume. So they tried to help these people. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is exactly what you just said, Carl, if they don't make these moves, we've got no Disney world to come back to. We have no podcast. We have no Twitter. You know, we have all these people complaining about Twitter who also do podcasts and blogs and, and whatever, like more power to you. Just remember that if these moves weren't made, you wouldn't have anything to talk about anymore. Right. You know, like that, that's, I think that's the biggest thing is that you have to change. You have to move with the times. You have to protect yourself. We have now seen a 100 year pandemic, you know, that Disney could not, could not have seen coming. There was nothing they could do. So what do they have to do? They have to do their best to prepare themselves so that if something like this ever happens again, they're not going to, they're not going to die off. You know, so those are all important things that I think people miss out on too. You know, I think it's very easy to look at, oh, they can't, they fired all these people and they didn't bring them back right away. Well, they couldn't afford to, they had to make enough money to bring back who they could. You don't think Disney would rather have housekeeping every day rather than every other day or every four days. Like they would much rather have housekeeping. Well, look, it's not, it's the same at Marriott. It's the same at Hilton. Right. People are complaining about Disney. But look at until the business until business is wide open and the business traveler comes back and there's conventions and there's business travel that supports that hotel to be open and give you discount rates for Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights. Right. Until the business market is back 100 percent for travel, that's when you're going to have cheaper airline tickets. Right. So what's going to happen? There has to be a level of comfort so that companies that you work for, like my traditional company, has to say, okay, the moratorium on travel has been lifted, and now you go about your business, right? Until that happens or changes, you're not going to see the profit centers in everybody, not just Disney, but in everyone for that to, to come down. Because you guess what? Disney's has four convention hotels, they haven't had a convention in two years. Those companies pay big money to do those conventions and extra services. And they fill those places up with capacity. So, you know, it helps, it helps pay the rent, if you will. And let's not forget that a lot of those people look at those trips and say, well, I'm going to be down there for a convention for three days. So why don't I tack on another seven days after that and bring my family down? That's you know, a whole that's other a show, right? Business yeah. From that yeah. Too. yeah. So, it's 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 uh, a lot of that's going on now as a fan right maybe maybe let's talk a little bit as a fan i think we've beaten everybody up with the business side of it uh pretty good but as disney fans it breaks my heart not to see all the shows open i'm i'm not going to hide that like i i'm i'm realistic i understand that like it's sad right to see all that stuff not i mean carl's waving his hand he doesn't give a crap about the shows but that but that's true too there's just as many people that don't care about it as, as there are people that do care about it right the only show i missed is hoop to do review because it was unlimited drinks while you watched it that sounds about right for you yeah that's that's, that's that if it, it involves right. a beer that's carl you guys should have seen when we were when we were down there at last the yachtsman steakhouse wasn't open yet and carl almost cried i, I mean he he was he had <laughs> he had planned for months for us all to go to the yachtman yachtsman steakhouse together that was more important to him than any show that you could have possibly put in there um but but i mean that's it right is they start bringing back the things that are going to make them money they they start looking at those things you know they knew festival of the lion king was one of the really big ones that was one of the first ones they 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 tried to bring back they they know they have a whole auditorium dedicated to nemo people 
they're not just they're not just leaving that empty to say screw you you know like they want to bring it back because they know we want to see it well the other part of the aspect and this ties into the whole fast pass model is those big shows those big arenas are people leaders right they take 700 to a thousand to two thousand people in those arenas yep and tie them up for 40 minutes right waiting for a show the show and then leaving that's thousands of people not in line for rides right one of the tips we do as travel planners right is say to people what their interests are do you zig and zag do you ride attractions during the parade because everyone's waiting to you know an hour in advance to get their perfect seat for their perfect instagram picture or do you participate in the show right and that's always a touring plan strategy is when do you do those things so a lot of shows at Hollywood Studios, not around Animal Kingdom, as you mentioned, those come back. Now, the people who said, I don't need Fast Pass don't because you've sucked out those people. And, and Walt Disney used to say those people eat attractions, right? You, you get that process going and then the lines shorten up everywhere else. So believe me, they all want that to happen and to come back because that contributes to the quality of the experience that contributes to the show that contributes to the business product they're delivering and known for. Right. Anything that they can do to entertain you the entire time you're there, they're going to do as long as it is profitable for them to do yeah, that. That's it. That's every business. If you go into business and you're a nonprofit, right. You're still paying salaries. You're still doing whatever. You still need to cut that line to make sure that everybody's getting what they need. Right. So as a company like Disney that is a for-profit business and it's never been hidden as to, as to what they were, they're going to do whatever they can to increase their profits. And sometimes that means adding entertainment. And they will do that if that makes sense. Look, at, we experienced this, right? You know, one there's certain activities that um, lent themselves to the challenges we went through last year. Around. Disney brought in third party, more fishing boats, right? to go out as we experienced, you know, fishing one day. Well, that was an activity that was approved and available. So the, the subcontractor brought in more boats for all the waterways because more people could do that, right? They, they look at, you know, it was more difficult in the last year and a half to get tea times. You know, I used to be able to go in and walk on same day and be able to get them. Now you had to plan that. We plan it for clients more accordingly now because that was sort of an act activity people migrated to, right? So there's, there's ebbs and flows in the entertainment. I think when you're in an empire of Orlando, the Walt Disney World, there's so many different ways to entertain yourself that you still end up with a very satisfied product. Yes, maybe you don't have this, but you do have that. And I think, you know, that really, in the world we live in, for people who are traveling down there, we can create, help create that product help create that good experience. You're right, if an annual pass holder, why am I gonna spend 110 bucks uh, to golf on a weekend at Disney when I can go to 10 other on Orlando courses and on the weekend and play 50? I'm not going to, right? But if I'm in town and I'm staying there and it's part of my experience, I'm gonna spend the money, right? So, so a lot of that, um, like you said, pricing coming back into it, it's what the market will bear. And people complaining about the prices, if people keep paying it, it's, you know, that's going to be the price. And listen, if you're not willing to pay it, frankly, Disney's willing to let you go. 
You know, I talk about this all the time from a, from a marketing perspective, every company has an ideal client profile. Every single company has somebody they're looking at that saying, that's who we're targeting in the media. They usually talk about 18 to 14, 40 year olds, right? That's who they want in the media. That's who they want advertisers to be targeting, whatever the case may be. Disney's ideal client profile is, and always has been since Walt Disney imagined the concept is multi-generational families. It always has been. Now, there are so many people out there that are like, it's the childless millennial that's running around getting wasted at Epcot. Like, that's what you see. I don't, I don't blame you for seeing that. But where did that child molest, childless millennial come from? That childless millennial came from a multi-generational family that grew up going to Disney World and is now 21, 22, 23 years old and going with her girlfriends or his, his best friends or his dudes, or it's the three of us right? Going around drinking around the world, you know, like all three of us, all three of us, we go without our kids, adults at Disney, right? All three of us grew up going to Disney. We, we've discussed this in a previous episode, guys. So, you know, like it, it's, that's their ideal client profile. So I'm sorry if you're 30 years old and you don't like the fact that you and your kids can't afford to go, your two and four year old kids can't afford to go yet. When you're 60, you're probably going to be looking to book a trip with your whole family. Well, like first that's... of all, first of all, if you can't afford with your two-year-old, they're freaking free. So you're not working the program, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. You're only playing for yourself and the four-year-old. So, you know, so so that's the thing is, you know, again, people tend to complain about uh, things that, you know, there's a great example of something that hasn't changed, right? You're two years year and younger, you're free into the park, you're going to eat free next to mom and dad at most restaurants right so if you're going at that age you're experiencing something different and you're not paying that premium a lot of ski resorts do that too right if you're under two you're getting the, the pass free and it's it's cheap to go into uh, into ski school there, there's a model there because why what do they want to do they want to have people experience those magic moments. now look if they're not idiots if you're two-year-old you're going to have to rent a stroller and they're going to make money off you that way right <laughs> so even if you're free in the in the park you're you're uh, you're spending money some way and Balloons, you're gonna probably bubble ones, you <laughs> name it. Yeah. Plush, right. Plush and plush and plush. They're, they're, yeah. they're getting your they're getting your money no matter what you do. I mean, you you think it's free, but again, your money's coming out of your wallet. It's, yeah, it's and, that and simple. It's, that's what I'm saying. Is like feed them, feed them, let them in for free, and then feast off of them because all the stuff that they get off you <laughs> is low budget, like easy for them to make easier for them to make profit on. And you just said it, you're planting the seed in that little kid for him to be consumer the next 50 years of their life. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing to me. So, you know, the other thing I want to say is Disney has always been a premium product. I don't know where this concept of a, it used to be affordable came from. That's not really true. Disney, as long as I've grown up, I've felt lucky to go to Disney World because I've always had friends who couldn't go. For whatever reason, they couldn't go. Their families couldn't afford to take them. They had too many other things going on. They couldn't go, right? So that, I always felt really lucky about that. And I'm not trying to boast about it as much as I'm just trying to say, I know for a fact that it's not true that it's always been affordable. It has, it has always been a premium product. Disney did their hardest to make it more affordable by adding moderate resorts, by adding value resorts, and by trying to give those things, give those opportunities to people. But if you think that they're going to charge you the same for staying at all-star music as they are for staying at the contemporary, you're out of your mind. There's a big difference in what you receive between the two. 
And if anything, Disney's starting to separate that even further, right? They're starting to give more value, just like Universal does, just like SeaWorld does, just like everybody else does. More value when you spend more money. That's the way the world works. Um, and anyone who wants to challenge your hypothesis that you just presented from a business perspective about it being discounted, you can go back to opening week of Disneyland when, you know, Disney was criticized about how expensive it was to get in, right? You had to pay to get in. And then, you know, the fact that he, you know, had to make a decision between the water coolers and the restrooms versus selling Coca-Cola. And he was criticized for that. And, you know, he said, look at, I am a private business. I don't have a public subsidy. You can go to Central Park in New York and walk through it for free because your tax dollars are paying for that, that park, the zoo at Central Park, all of that. Yes, your tax dollars are paying for it if you're a New Yorker, right? Disney does not receive that subsidy. So it's not inexpensive or free because it's privately owned. It's traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And they're a capitalist organization that is designed to make money. Now, you may think that's evil, you know, <laughs> as you're, you're going to Disney, you know, that capitalism is not good, but you're paying to go in and you're feeding the machine. So I, I don't want to hear that argument either, right? It's without capitalism, Disney would not exist. So you can raise hell against society and how bad that is. But those are some of the same people who are on Twitter loving Disney. So right. I, I throw that out the window. Right. Truth is, truth is, Mortimer Mouse is actually inside of the Mickey Mouse costume, just in case anybody wanted to know. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I'm very realistic when it comes down to it. You know, I always try to look at it just, just from that perspective, maybe because I'm in business and I can see it. Like, yes, I love Disney. Yes, I make money selling Disney. There's no doubt about that. But I still want to go and bring my family too, guys. And just, despite what you think, travel planners do not get into Disneyland, Disneyland or Disney World for free. We no. don't. Do we get a little perk? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that. But it's not nearly what I thought it was even when I signed no. up for the gig. No, it's, you know? it's, so, it's, 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 re it's really not. The first time I ever saw it, I was shocked. I will be, I will be 100% honest, kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit. It, it's, it's really very null in comparison to what a lot of people think it's we're still paying a pretty good premium to go into the park just like everyone else yeah we really are and, I, and i'll tell you universal does more for us than disney does you know there and i'm i'm not afraid to i everybody thinks that because i talk about disney that i must like hate universal i love universal we've all been to the universal together we all love universal but the fact of the matter is is two universal parks put together are the same size as animal kingdom you know just animal kingdom you know, you look at those parks and you, you put them together, you can do all of all of Universal in a day and a half. If you know what you're doing, you can do it all. There's no chance in hell you're going to do that at Disney. You're not going to get that all done in a day. Look, a we thought about this when we were naming this podcast, right? We named it Dude's Dish Disney. You go back to the history. There's a lot that was involved in us picking that. But, you know, we're dishing Disney. We're, we're putting it on a plate. We're presenting it to people. Uh, we're dishing it out. But we're also the negative in the negative aspect. Oh, we're dishing Disney. We're bad on them. No, we're not bad on them. We're pro on Universal, right? Right. <laughs> so, so we're pro on Disney and we're pro on Disney World. 
universal and that's why we came out with that dish because it had that double connotation that we could be pro-universal at the same time being pro-Disney. But hear me out here, folks. I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know this for a fact. I have no inside knowledge of this. But Universal has been playing catch up for Disney for a long time. And they're doing very well, especially since Harry Potter. They've, they've almost caught up to Disney. They're right there. They could use some work with some of their resorts and stuff still to get on the same page. But they're almost there. Food's there. Entertainment is there. The attractions are there. You name it. If you don't think when they open Epic, whenever that'll be, next year, a couple of years from now, whatever the case may be, if you don't think the prices are going to go up at Universal, if you don't think they're going to start valuing their stuff and stop discounting the same way that Disney does right now, you're out of your mind. Once Universal thinks that their product is as valuable as Disney's, they will stop giving you all those same perks that Disney's giving you right now. You want to talk about Universal's annual pass is, you know, whatever it is for the top tier is 900 bucks versus 1400 bucks for Disney. Well, you're only getting two theme parks in a city walk at Universal and a water park. At Disney, you're getting four theme parks. You're getting a, a, a Disney Springs that's twice as big. You're getting 40 square miles of property, you know, and you're getting two water parks that you can add on to that pass relatively inexpensively. You know, so there's a difference there. You can't discount it. You can't just look at it side by side and say, oh, price, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Jonathan, have we missed anything in tonight's discussion, which really comes to the, the focus of your mind when you think about Disney and the aspects of them doing the business that they need to do at Walt Disney World? I, I would honestly say for those who are negatizing Disney and everything that's going on. Listen, like we've kind of been saying for the last, I don't know how many minutes it is now there. It's a business game. It is, it is business. They're out to make a profit. They have shareholders. They have all kinds of folks that they have to meet certain guidelines, certain profits, everything to meet in order to succeed. And it's a business. They have to do what they need to do as a business to succeed. And like Ryan said a little bit ago, if they didn't succeed and they didn't make a profit to be able to pay their bills, to pay everything, guess what? You and I and everybody else, we wouldn't be going to Disney. We'd be going, I don't know, some random theme park in the middle of, middle of the country that's not anything better than a backyard. Honestly, what you're paying for and what's going on there's a reason for it. And again, we all keep going back. So they're clearly doing something right. Yes, we may not like every decision, every choice that they make, but guess what? It goes back to they're a business. They have to do what they need to do to succeed. And that's what the main goal for them is. And it's the, that simple. The fact of the matter is, is every single person on this podcast, every single person listening to this podcast knows somebody if you're not the person yourself that when they go to disney they call it home and as long as disney has that grip around your banana cabana <laughs> right <laughs> you're you're going to keep going back and they're going to keep doing what they want to do and and making those decisions until one day they until one day they see the crowds disappear and then they'll pull back the reins you know so um We'll just keep that in mind. And, you know, I, I, for one, I frankly, I actually like some of the changes that have been made. I don't like them all, but I do like some of them. And I'm willing to wait and see how they play out 
before I overly criticize them. It's just the same. We joked earlier about the castle. Everybody, when the castle first got painted more pink and blue, everybody was in an outrage about it. And I said, I'm going to wait until I see it myself in person before I judge it. It's the same thing with all these changes. Until I see them in play, until they're final and the plans are complete, I'm going to hold off judgment on them and see what happens. Save Mr. Toad, save the castle, save Splash Mountain, right? Change is bad. My advice to people who have these concerns and get in these business discussions and are sort of the opposite spectrum of what we, we all are on this is I would encourage you to do two things. One, get a job at a big company and you'll understand a lot more about what Disney's faced up at a big day-to-day. Two is, if you like Disney and you believe in it, buy their stock and read their annual report and see the actions that they're taking to the business units, specifically focusing on the parks, which is generally a, a big profit maker for the organization, and see what they're doing year over year to make these changes that shows a profit. And to you as a stockholder, you'll start to become a believer in some of these business decisions. And it'll make it easier the next time you go to the park to you know, appreciate what is or what isn't as, as they face the challenges they do quarter over quarter like any business entity. And in closing, I would say, the following. Oh yes, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Later dudes. Later dudes. Later dudes. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dudes Dish Disney. Please check us out on social media on facebook.com at Dudes Dish Disney, on Instagram at Dudes Dish Disney, on Twitter at Disney underscore dish. Please visit our sponsor, Magic Vacations at magicvacations.net. More than just a travel agency, Magic Vacations has over 60 Magic Vacation planners committed to bringing you white glove concierge service. Using a Magic Vacation Planner allows you to spend more time making memories and less time worrying about the details. For all your Disney, Universal, Cruise, and Global Travel, go to magicvacations.net. Magic Vacations, discover the magic of travel.